0: today's scripture reading is from Luke 11, 1 to 13. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. Suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Up till now, Jesus has... Um, Luke tells us Jesus prayed repeatedly and often, over six instances of Him going away to a secluded place to pray. And on this occasion, he's returned, and one of his disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And what Jesus says was important for his immediate followers, but also for all of us, those who would follow after them. But before we look at what Jesus says about how to pray, I want us to consider what he has to say about the one to whom we pray. And that's found in what he has to say after the prayer. According to Jesus, our practice of prayer has something to teach us about the nature of God and our relationship with God. So he tells a parable of a man who receives a late-night guest, and in order to fulfill his obligation to provide hospitality, He realizes he's without necessities, and symbolizing that are three loaves of bread, which sort of symbolizes the staple of a meal. So he goes to his neighbor to ask him for for the bread. And Jesus knows his listeners would readily identify with this man and his inner thoughts of, as he went there, what kind of friend would I be if I didn't provide the customary hospitality for my guest? Knowing his neighbor would do the same for him if the roles were reversed, he's he's determined to get what he's come for. And then comes the surprising element in the story, and that's the nature of a parable. There's a surprising catch somewhere in the story. We don't always get that surprising element because of our cultural differences. But the surprising element is simply this. The neighbor declines, saying... Now, we might say this, my door's locked, it's late, my family's already settled in for the night. Chances are they all slept in the same room, and just by his getting up and climbing over them, they would be disturbed. This hypothetical claim of inconvenience is such in a culture that values hospitality so highly is is considered by Jesus laughable, if not absurd. In other words, everyone listening to the story would say, what? What kind of friend would do that? And Jesus says, though the man inside will not get up on the basis of their friendship, he will do so to resolve the situation. Now, I said that instead of what we normally hear or what we heard the answer to be, most translators associate the next verb with the man doing the knocking. Because of his, we just heard read in the in New Revised Standard Version, because of his persistence. You know, like, what's the guy on uh, Big Bang Theory where, when he knocks? Sheldon? <laughs> the way he knocks, that's persistent. It's pestering, but it's persistent. Okay, so, there, so there's that guy. Um, and then... Another translation, the Common English says, because of this man's brashness. Or another translation, the NIV says, because of his shameless audacity to be knocking this late and with such persistence. But most, translate, most commentators think that the verb doesn't apply to the man doing the knocking, but the man on the inside. And they attribute the response to something like this. Because of his desire to avoid shame, the man on the inside, just think of how this story gets reported the next day, that he didn't get up to provide his neighbor his request. He would be shamed in the whole community for not providing what was expected. And they would wonder, what kind of friend is this, and can we trust him in the future? Or another one says dishonor, to bring dishonor to the friendship. The point of the parable is that no friend would behave in such an unhelpful way. When a friend comes through for us, despite inconvenience to themselves or their mixed motives, that's what we come to expect of friendship. In effect, Jesus tells us that that's what God is like. He's a friend who would never disappoint, one who always honors the friendship. If in human friendship, with all of its flaws, we can expect our friends to come through for us in our time of need, then how much more can we confidently expect God to respond to our requests when we come with a prayer? I think more than any other spiritual practice, prayer reveals what we most believe is true about God, more than our studying the Bible, more than our reading, um, more than our reading God's Word or studying theology, more than um, our attending worship, or um, giving offerings or serving the poor. Prayer says what we really; it reveals what we believe is true about God and our relationship with God. It reflects the level of trust that we have in God and our knowledge of God's character and our reliance upon God's character, God's goodness and faithfulness. As I've mentioned to you before, I engage in a, in a monthly um, appointment of spiritual direction And the thing I'm most startled every time I leave is I keep having to learn the same lesson over and over again. When we get toward the conclusion of our time together, the the thing that stands out is my lack of trust in God, that I need to trust God more as I describe circumstances or situations. And I'm thinking, I've been at this a long time. I'm a pastor who tries to encourage people to trust God, and yet I myself... Have to learn this lesson over and over again talk about upside down I think that's precisely upside down what Jesus is teaching about prayer is the opposite of how the way most people live in this world we live as self-reliant individuals self-made self-determined we can look after ourselves That's why we work, so that we can be financially secure and not dependent on anyone else, right? And yet, Jesus tells us be dependent on God. Go all out with God, trust Him. At our last meeting of session, we shared responses to this question. And I want you to consider this question and take it with you. Um, Who is someone you pray for regularly? And what has prayer, the practice of prayer, praying for that person, taught you? Who's someone you pray for regularly, and what has that practice of praying regularly taught you? The sharing and discussion that followed was very meaningful. One elder spoke of how praying regularly for a member of her family made her look at that person differently through God's eyes. And as a result, it gave her a greater love and appreciation than when she started praying for him. Another elder spoke of learning to let go of worry and concern for their loved one and to trust God to meet that person's need since he was incapable of doing it himself. And another spoke of embracing God's blessing in the midst of a hard and life-altering reality to trust God to the point that to see blessing in the midst of something difficult. I shared with the group how praying intently for something I wanted to see happen in a person's life has co- had caused me to question whether God would grant my request. I had doubts. We sang a hymn earlier in the earlier service that said that trusting God um, uh, Every faithless murmur stilled. In other words, that's what I was having, faithless murmurings in my soul. Does God really, is God going to grant this request? And I soon discovered that I had projected my own limitations and faults onto God. I imagined that God was choosing to teach me a lesson by not granting this request. And I became discouraged. But then I realized, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't the God I believe in. This is woefully inadequate and wrong. So I started in my prayer to affirm that God wants what's best for this person, better than I could even imagine. And so, Lord, I trust you to answer this request. And I admitted that my persistence in prayer was not being impertinent or a matter of Of expressing my own insecurity, but it was important to my trust of God that I I just affirmed what I knew to be true, and I changed my prayer from expressing it as a wish fulfillment that might be granted by some kind of a genie to that of opening my heart to God, knowing that God simply delights in our relationship and my bringing my request to Him. That God wasn't looking at me like, oh, it's Dale again, and here he comes with this. But instead, it was like, Dale, so glad you're here. Listen to what Frederick Buechner says. According to Jesus, by far the most important thing about praying is to keep at it. The images Jesus uses to explain this are all rather comic, as though having to explain this in the first place is comical. He says, God's like a friend you go to to borrow bread from at midnight, and the friend tells you, in effect, to drop dead. But you go on knocking anyway until finally he gives you what you want so he can go back to bed. By by persisting, Jesus says, not because you have to beat a path to God's door before he'll open it, but be persistent because until you beat the path, maybe there's no way of getting to your door. What I like about Buechner's emphasis is that keep at prayer has to do with us rather than with God. It's not the reluctance on God's part. it's our, It's the things that get in the way for us. We need to keep at it in order to learn important aspects of God and our relationship with God. And I think this is what Jesus was saying after this parable in a series of vivid and memorable phrases he wants us to recall. Ask and it will be given. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. This is precisely what the man was doing. He's describing everything that man did. The point of Jesus' lesson is to go to God in prayer because God waits eagerly to receive us and is ready to respond to our requests. So then ask yourself about your own prayers. Am I willing to ask boldly, even to the point of being misunderstood? Am I willing to knock repeatedly past the point of second-guessing whether I should stay at it? And am I willing to search determinedly and unwilling to give up? A year ago in October, someone phoned me letting me know that the fires uh, were affecting people in our congregation and that I need to be aware of that. And then I wasn't even sure what it was like in our neighborhood. So I went outside immediately and I looked in three, in four directions. In two directions, I saw red glow rather strong red glow and in the third direction I saw fire so I couldn't tell how close it was to us and instinctively I went to knock on neighbors doors it's not a good thing to get a knock on your door at two or three in the morning you it's like who could that be it can't be good and so as you might well imagine no one came to the door and I thought to myself, do I give up? Do I leave? What do I do? And then I thought, no, what, what I'm here for is so important. They're going to want to know. If the roles were reversed, I would want them to keep at it. And that's precisely what this, this image that Jesus is getting across. It, it took me knocking beyond doors on windows and in two instances, children came to the window and they opened the window like this. Like, who in the world is this? And then, and then uh, the other neighbor was reluctant to come to the door and finally said, "What is it?" In a rather perturbed voice. And I wanted to say, "It's your neighbor." No, <laughs> I just said, "There's a fire in in our neighborhood. I want you to be aware." And and then my other neighbor, I found out later, said she, told her, she had told her mom that there's this crazy man outside. Um, and she goes, oh, no, that's Dale. <laughs> the next thing Jesus describes is God like a father. And it's unfortunate that in our world today, we know not all fathers act in the way that Jesus talks about majority of fathers want to provide good for their children. We know of instances where fathers have not done that and have actually hurt their children by their actions. But Jesus' point is no matter how inattentive or negligent a human father might be, when they ask, when a child asks for help, they're they're prone to give it to them. And then he uses this comparison, then how much more Will your heavenly Father provide you with what you ask? As we sang earlier, good, good Father. That's who you are. And that's who Jesus is portraying God to be when we come to him with our requests. His appropriateness and generosity exceeds any human father we can possibly imagine. Well, I want to turn now to this model prayer that Jesus provides. When we recite the prayer, we follow Matthew's version of this prayer. And even then, we use uh, a textual variant. If you use a study Bible, there'll be a footnote at the end of the prayer and say some ancient manuscripts include this phrase. And that's where you get the, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. They think it might not have been part of the original prayer Jesus gave, but it was added later by the church community. In Luke's version, it's even more succinct and pointed, but consistent with Jesus' teaching throughout Luke. He begins by saying, Father. He doesn't say, Our Father. He just starts with Father. And rarely did Jewish prayers address God in this way. Um, Even if they did, and they did in some instances, they were not used that often. But Jesus' roots are praying to God in the revelation he brings of God to his disciples. He's inviting us to know and relate to God in the way he did, emphasizing the intimacy of God's relationship with us, like that of a child. And that the God that we pray to is a father who who is nurturing, who is loving, who is merciful and who simply takes delight in his children. And that registered for me in a in a profound way, because the one thing I most want to convey to my children to this day, even in their 30s, is how much delight I, I have in them. And I don't think any child can understand this until you have a child yourself, that we want to teach you, you know, teach a child to behave a certain way and to follow the rules and to, for their sake, we don't want to harm them and all of that. And, and they begin to think that you earn the love, that, you, that, it's, that it's only based on positive regard. But the truth of the matter is, I just delight in who my children are. Whenever I see them, whenever I hear from them, Uh, When I get a text from them, I stop everything to see what is it about, because I just delight in who they are, and that's how God is toward us. He just delights in who we are and our spending time with Him. Any attention we give to God pleases His heart, and then it says to hallow God's name, and This presumes the ancient understanding that one's name is more than a moniker or a label. It is the essence of who a person is. And so what's being said here is you don't use God's name in a way that doesn't relate to God's character. So it's one thing to get offended if somebody says God's name in some cursing, disparaging sort of way, but why... Why then, as Christians, are we not equally offended when some other Christian will use God's name that doesn't show forth God's love and mercy when someone needs it? Why is it we rush to judgment about someone's misbehavior and and want to put them down rather than to say, God is loving and merciful and forgiving, and I'm with you. I'm here to remind you of that. That's keeping God's name hallowed as well. And then thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those are parallel phrases, which means they're just nuances of the same thing. They're they're a reiteration that that only God can overturn the powers at work in this world and establish God's reign here on earth too. And that with the coming of Jesus, God's kingdom is already being made present in this world and it's bringing about a whole new order of relating to one another, a new community of living out the blessings of God's kingdom in this world. Give us each day our daily bread as a reminder. Remember when the disciples were told to go out on their missionary journeys, and he said, basically, take nothing with you. Leave it behind. I want you to trust God. I want your daily sustenance to be something God provides, not something you do. Um, and then it also anticipates the messianic feast when God will feed all who are hungry and who go without. And then forgive us our sins. We all know what that means and why we pray it. Where we get tripped up sometimes is the the, uh, the additional four um, we forgive others or as we forgive everyone who sins against us. I know we say debts and debtors uh, and others say trespasses, but the heart of of the meaning of this is the fact that we have offended through sin. The second phrase doesn't introduce a relationship of quid pro quo between divine and human forgiveness as if God's forgiveness depends on ours. But quite the opposite. Jesus is grounding the disciples' request for forgiveness in the, in the fact that we can only show forgiveness to someone else if we've experienced it ourselves. And that the evidence of our having been forgiven is that we become forgiving people. When someone, if someone were to ask me, what is grace? That tells me they don't have a clue. They've never experienced it. Because when you've experienced grace, you want it for everyone else. You want that sense of, of being overwhelmed by the goodness and love and life-altering um, dimension that God brings that says you don't, you don't have to earn this. It's a gift. In other words... Forgiveness in us is evidence that we have received it and we have begun to imitate God's character in this world. And then finally, lead us not into t- temptation. I understand the Roman Catholic Church met recently to debate whether to change that or not. Can you imagine? <laughs> because of course God doesn't lead us into temptation. We get there ourselves. Um, the emphasis in Matthew's version is on deliver us. I would almost say lead us, comma, not into temptation, but deliver us. In other words, God, you're not one to, to tempt us. We're, this world and everything about it will distract us and lead us astray, but be the one who delivers us in our time of need. It, hint, it it hints back to the great exodus when god 's people were in bondage and and um, and suffering, and the prayers their prayers were heard by God, and he delivered them that 's the emphasis that 's going on here we even so Jesus knows that his journey to Jerusalem is fraught with opposition and conflict, and he 's saying. As we move closer in that direction and it will become more intense, pray that God will ease you of of being tempted in that way. Well, we speak of this as the Lord's Prayer, but it would be better thought of as the disciples' prayer. Jesus gave it to us to pray as disciples, not because it was the prayer that He prayed regularly, N.T. Wright describes it this way. It's a prayer for people who are following Jesus on the kingdom journey to Jerusalem, where he will act on behalf of God's name, which has been dragged in the mud by his people who've turned away from him in rebellion. Jesus says on his way, Jesus is on his way to accomplish the new exodus in which the long awaited kingdom of God would become a reality. Luke's version of this prayer grows out of Jesus' life mission when he brought bread for the hungry, forgiveness for the sinner, and deliverance from the powers of darkness through his self-giving sacrifice. When we pray this prayer, we are praying Jesus' life mission and what he accomplished, but we're also praying our engagement and participation in it, that we are the ones who are actively pointing Just as Jesus pointed uh, his disciples to God, now we are pointing um, to Jesus and saying, trust him with everything. Amen.